This is Goodnight Maryland Radio with your host, Nina Bosky. It's been more than 50 years since the tragic death of one of Hollywood's biggest stars at the time and in history, Marilyn Monroe. Nina seeks to uncover the life and death of this legendary star as it coincides with the pre-production of the feature film, Goodnight Marilyn. You'll get a chance to question, explore, and discover the secrets surrounding what really happened that fateful night back in 1962. Let's start the conversation. Here is the host of Goodnight Marilyn Radio, Nina Bosky. No, I, I don't think I lie. I leave things out. I don't elaborate sometimes. But it'll be in front of the truth. Because otherwise, it's hard to know where to start if you don't start with the truth. Hi, everyone. I'm Nina Bosque for Goodnight Maryland Radio, and welcome to the show as we explore the investigation, the life, and the movie all surrounding Miss M.M. herself. Also, if she were alive today, she would be celebrating her 90th birthday this week. Maybe we can play the, the segment at, uh, at, the, uh, at the commercial. Uh, all right. Well, as Goodnight Maryland fans, we are celebrating from all over the world. And uh, as you know, uh, this week it was very crowded with social media and an outpour of love for this star, not just here in the United States, uh, but just like our Goodnight Maryland fans from all over the world, uh, there was definitely a lot, a lot of uh, recognition and acknowledgement for this star that has graced us on the screen, not just for the last last 53 years, but prior to the 53 years is why we are talking about her today. Francois from Rems, France, Gary from Los Angeles, Veronica from Knoxville, Tennessee, Robert from Beverly Hills, Heidi from Houston, Texas, Cecile from Greenwood, Louisiana, Joseph from Afghanistan in uh, also the US, uh, he's in the U.S. Navy, hometown is Newman, California, Piper from Visby, Sweden, Ethel from Hackensack, New Jersey, Wayne from San Diego, Sandra from Kitchener, Canada, and I'm also going to send out a little love and Facebook shout-outs as well, who uh, also are loyal fans, Bill, Frazier, Nathalie, Davey, Angela, Sydney, Wanda, Ahmed, Cecile, Melinda Neal, just a big shout-out to her as she started our friends uh, our friends for Goodnight Maryland Fan Club on Facebook, and and it's because of you and this story that we're really shedding some great light on this mystery that's been haunting us for over 53 years, soon to be 54 years. Well, if you are a Maryland fan, you are in a stir this week. We have some fiercely protective MM fans, and given the publicity of Maryland's 90th birthday, there were, of course, some shows and some articles that really, uh, you know, kind of went into, uh, you know, we'll just say, went into the stories. We'll just say that they were stories, mainly on the Reels television network that aired this past weekend, the National Enquirer and A.J. Benz's Case Closed. Um, I'm sure that uh, that titles from Jay Margolis's and Richard Buskin's book. But I also want to address a front page article that was filled with so much misinformation and rumors that it was really just complete rubbish. And you say to me mainly, you know, you might be saying to me is why in the world are you bringing it up? 
Well, one of the reasons why I'm bringing it up is, you know, I started the show really as the average viewer or listener. I was the average person. And not that I would believe so much the tabloids in the, in the publications, but a, a show like, uh, like uh, that was on Reels, I probably would look at that and say, oh my gosh, there's been so many stories told over the years, I wouldn't know what is true and what isn't. And if something looks credible, you know, and you have credible or perceived credible people talking about it, you think that it's true. So Good Night Maryland Radio will break down the new, the old, and maybe the not so pretty of what is fact, what is fiction, what is probable theory, and as you heard me say, outlandish rumor. So we have so many conflicting stories, it becomes difficult to understand who's telling the truth and who's making up stories. Well, this season, where we have been taking an in-depth look at what's really going on in the 1982 DA report, but today we're we're taking a departure of this to address these television shows and articles that just create more of the same without really giving getting to the truth or any new information about the star. And why is this important? Well, we live in a culture of quick sound bites. And we believe almost anything that sounds credible. You know, today on Facebook, I saw that Anthony Hopkins, uh, people were, were, you know, sharing that Anthony Hopkins may have died. Well, that's a hoax. But the problem is, is, you know, we're liking and we're sharing. Everything's going viral in seconds. It's hard to know what is true and what isn't. Well, I have to say in these two shows that I was watching, and I'm sure you'll hear from the panel as well, I was hoping that there would have been a little bit more accurate and beneficial information that came from from these two shows, since they did advertise it that way. Uh, And as we will hear from A.J. Benz's opening line, from a crime scene that is clearly staged and a missing red diary that was packed with presidential secrets that could topple the country, Probable just isn't cutting it. Well, I would say out of that whole opening line, we do agree on something. Probable just doesn't cut it, as you've heard if you listen to the shows. So today we'll break it down with you. The panel will be uh, out in just a moment, and we'll get to exactly what they were talking about, and we'll address what all of this really means head on. But before we get to that, I'd like to thank some special people. Randall Libero, our executive producer of Goodnight Maryland. I'd also like to thank our engineer today, Aaron, who's with us, and Jennifer, our social media person, and of course our panel, and you Goodnight Maryland fans. Well, this has been a big week for Maryland fans. As you know, we've been celebrating her 90th birthday all week long. Fans from all over the world, as I said, have been celebrating this icon. And we, as uh, not only Goodnight Maryland, but more importantly, the Real Life Conference, we got a chance to have our conference launch and kick off uh, this uh, Real Life Conference and investigation with an interview with the China Network, Matan Global Entertainment. It reaches over 40 million people in China. And Dana Kent, who is the co-creator of the Real Life Conference, and Holly Beaven, a Maryland tribute artist, joined us. And Dana, you're with us now. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about, you know, about this investigation and what do you think sets us apart from other investigations that are out there? Um, Hi, good morning, everybody. I think that what's so great is that 53 years later, Maryland continues to inspire everybody. So that's the best part, that regardless, and especially for this 90th birthday, you see Vanity Fair issues, and again, you see investigative shows 
that actually are, are also on, on television, regardless of what they're representing. But I think what that does for us, and especially as we had that promo piece and we were at that wonderful hotel where she had lived before, which just, you know, her birthday was there and she felt alive all over the place. And her inspiration is, is, is wonderful. I mean, that's the good news. I think the downside is that, to your point, when you have that much conditioned media information, people will, will believe it. So I love that our commitment, particularly in regards to this conference and the live collaborative effort of this investigation, all that does is give us an opportunity to set us apart. And there's a couple of ways in which that's so powerful. You know, first of all, we will only draw conclusions in everything that we do based on only substantiated facts. That's huge. That is the strongest place in which we will be different than anything else that you see out there. And, and, it, and in that kind of credibility, it will make us a point of reference to the truth, which is so fantastic. But also, other than the investigation of the circumstances and the truth of her death, it actually is an investigation of a heart, which means that we will represent Marilyn in the inclusive way of who she is, the person, the true things about her as a human being and as a woman. And that piece does make this a different kind of investigation as well. So as we collaborate and unravel and only take things that are, that are substantiated to draw conclusions for the, the truth of the day, we will also be able to represent the beauty of her inside and out and everything about her as a human being and woman. And what that will also do, and this is why I love that when we get to the best truth of the day, that we will be able to see what we do with that. And this is where she again continues to inspire if she can take her story, if we can present her story with everything that surrounds the, the story, and that includes, by the way, what we've been discussing on this radio show where it relates to her state of mind and her mental illness and particularly how poignant that is today with celebrity overdoses and things that happen, it is so important to see how she can inspire people that have still followed their dreams and achieved their dreams coming from a place of childhood of, of, of adversity and challenges and to know that regardless of that, that they still can, can achieve those dreams. But more importantly, and this is how we can transcend this into a transformational experience for all of us, it's like when you take her story and you're able to be influenced by it and inspired to know that, yes, not only can I go for my dreams, but I can also own what's going on with me, which means that I will get the support and make sure that, that my wellness and my, my, my care, whether it's mental or physical, is managed in the proper way. Because I will actually look at that because I am inspired by Marilyn's story to know that that's important in my life. And I won't let the stigmas of those things prevent me from getting what I need. So her influence, what we're trying to do, not only unravels in the collaborative efforts, getting to the real true story, the real true story, not the stories that we saw over the weekend. I love that they brought them up because it's her birthday and she's still inspired and the attention to how she affects us all is still on the table. And it always will be. I think it won't ever stop. But how wonderful for what we're doing, which is to actually have a clean slate with a point of reference of only truth and only conclusions based on unsubstantiated information and to bring the heart of who she really, really is and was, which is where we are an investigative team with the heart, and then to be able to take her story and transcend it into all of our lives. And that is Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> and I love that wow. part because well, you it know, is so... <laughs> Well, I was going to say, you know, what, what's wonderful about what you're saying is, one, I, I can't really add anything more to it. 
beautifully said. And I think that if you want to know what we're about, you're going to hear it as it starts to unfold and we'll start to tell you what is fact, fiction, and probable theory here. But I loved how you framed that up because it's not just about what actually happened to her. It's presenting it in a way that honors who she is, not just as a star, but all of us who really we're, we're a human being here on this planet trying to to get through the day. And hopefully, you know, if, if you would be lucky enough to inspire people like Marilyn Monroe, let's 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 give back to her instead of always taking away from her, uh, especially as it relates to not only her life, but in this case, her death. So thanks, uh, Dana, for giving us a little insight into what makes us different. <laughs> You're welcome. Thanks, and good morning, everybody. Yay. All right. Thanks again. And let's move on because we have a lot to to cover. But before we bring out the panel, uh, I would like to talk to April Via Via, one of the Maryland investigators and researchers. You've heard her on the panel on this show. She she definitely does her research. She has a new book coming out on Maryland's anniversary of her death. It's called Maryland, A Day in the Life. April, are you there with us? And could you tell I am. us what? How are you, Nina? Oh, I'm doing great. Great, and so excited that you have your book coming out, and what can we expect? Okay, so what I've done is I've compiled a timeline on Marilyn's life, and it's the most comprehensive one, I believe, that's out there, and it just, you can follow her day by day, and you can, um, it's really going to be good for people when they want to reference, uh, especially like on the Slatter and Kennedy stuff, and when someone says she is someplace on a certain day, you can look in my book and discover, oh, no, she was across the country or she was at an event. <laughs> well, I think that's the wonderful thing about a book like this because uh, uh, I'm about ready to read something from a tabloid that uh, we'll, we'll be able to de- debunk and uh, defuse very quickly. And so what really does make this different than something else that's out there? You said there's nothing really out there like it. Uh, you know, obviously, they it's kind of like a reference. Is there anything else that people can expect from this book that makes it a little bit different than what we've already seen? Um, it's definitely, I'll be honest, it's definitely not a traditional biography. Like you said, it's just a timeline of her life, but it'll be really useful for people when they want to reference. Um, I hope to, I hope that, you know, it goes over well in the Maryland community and that researchers can use it. All right. Well, we are looking forward to it. It's Maryland, A Day in the Life. It's coming out August 5th, 2016. And do you know yet where they'll be able to buy it? Uh, they will be able to buy it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and um, pretty much every major online book retailer. All right. Well, that's good to know. Excited that it's coming down the pike and and getting a lot of of information out there that is more truth-oriented will be very impactful, especially as we go into the real-life investigation and getting to the truth of what happened to Marilyn. So thanks again, April. Thanks, Nina. All right. Well, the Good Night Maryland radio panel is back. Gary Vitaka Robles, best-selling author of Icon, The Lifetimes and Films of Marilyn Monroe, Immortal Maryland's April Via Via, and her new book coming out, Marilyn, A Day in the Life, and the ever-so-knowledgeable Immortal Maryland's Leslie Kasperowitz. Mary Jane Gray is off this week, but today, as you know, we're veering off somewhat from the 641-page DA report, um, and and what we're doing today is we're going to be systematic 
systematically breaking it down so you know the absolute, if it's fiction, it's rumor, maybe it's probable theory. Maybe what they said was a probable theory. But let's jump right in. I'd like to address these tabloid publications first, then we'll move to the reels, television shows. Also, if you're a listener listener and you have a question, feel free to call us. 866-472-5788. We do have a fan question, but I'm gonna I'm gonna we're not gonna answer it. We'll answer it as we go through the 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 actual television show. I think it's one that is warranted given what we're talking about. Helder from the UK. Don't you think that given there are so many people talking about the affair between JFK and Marilyn, that it's true? Well, well, let's start to to break this down. On the cover of the National Examiner this last week, okay, normally I wouldn't even give it any credence, but I I want to because I think that as a Maryland fan, but even if you're just listening in and you're just a person, we've really got to start to hold the media accountable because of the quick fix society and everything going viral. This is what it said, okay? says, at this time, the examiner cannot independently verify the claims. And basically, the the online uh, uh, front page is Maryland's explosive diary found after 54 years, right? So it says they cannot independently verify that the, the diary is genuine. However, the handwriting expert, who is also requested to be anonymous, insists the journal is the real deal. We were forbidden to photograph or copy the pages of the ledger. That's what the examiner says. But we're allowed to take detailed notes about some of the entries. So we'll hear about those in just a moment. The seller is looking at least a ten million, at least ten million for the diary, and is shopping the book to major publishing houses. He and the handwriting expert are reluctant to go to public for the moment because we're both afraid of our lives. The diary is pure dynamite and blows the lid off the conspiracies that are still active today. Okay. Well, first of all, the Julian's auction is coming up in November. So if you're afraid for your life, why don't you just go to the Julian auctions, give it to them, allow them to authenticate it, or go to any one of these Maryland experts. There's plenty of ability because here's the thing. If you go public with it, you actually are securing your ability to stay alive, if that is indeed true. There is absolutely no reason that any expert can't authenticate a diary. Right, panel? <laughs> Are you there? <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So I am going to read something from what they say is the diary. And we're then we're going to read something that Marilyn actually did write. Okay? Because I want you guys to understand, Marilyn Monroe was not a dumb person. She might have played a little ditzy, dumb, dumb blonde, but that was completely fabricated. That was a a, a acting genius, a talent that she created. She had a huge and a high IQ. She was versely read, and she was a deep thinker and writer. She would never write like this. So here's here's one of the ones that, that actually came through. July 25th says, things are really scary. Jack Kennedy was on TV tonight saying we're facing another nuclear war, something about Russians blockading Berlin. Who cares? It's such a silly reason for the world to end. I want I watched the whole thing I got bored and started thinking about how Jack is so handsome and sexy I miss him but I know America's in good hands even if I'd rather have those hands all over me hope we can arrange a a rendezvous at the Carlisle when and if this all blows over I'll help him forget 
Gary, <laughs> would you like to read? Would you like to read something from Fragments, which is actually one of Marilyn's and how she actually wrote, so you can really hear what actually her thought process was? I'd be more than happy. Life, I am of both of your directions, somehow remaining hang- hanging downward the most, but strong as a cobweb in the wind. I exist more with the cold, glistening frost, but my beaded rays have the colors I've seen in paintings. Ah, life, they have cheated you. All right. Does that sound like Marilyn Monroe would write something that I just told you on the July 25th? Here's another one, May 20th, okay? 1962. Saw Jack and Bobby last night after the garden shindig. I was a bad girl, had a quickie with Jack, then retired for a nightcap with Bobby. The brothers are so different in more ways than one. Bobby's all about romance and seduction. Jack is right is right at it. Bobby has five kids, I think. He's much better and much bigger than Jack. Oh, but mum's the word. I'm so tired of being having it be a secret. It's humiliating, like I'm not good enough to be seen with. May 20th, 1962, Leslie April, where in the world was Marilyn Monroe? Uh, Marilyn attended Madison Square Garden. She then went to the after party where she was photographed um, in the famous photograph that's been cropped in to make it look like an intimate moment with JFK when, in fact, there were dozens of people around them in the room. Um, She then returned home where she was seen returning home to her apartment in the early hours of the morning. Uh, where presumably she went to sleep as she was uh, certainly tired. And the next day she got on a plane and flew home to L.A. She absolutely did not spend the evening with Jack or Bobby Kennedy. Or the next day, which was May 20th. So or the let's, next day. Yeah, or the next day. That's a diary entry. Hogwash. Guys, do not buy this, excuse my, you know what, crap. Crap, crap, crap. So, with that said, we're going to take a break. We're going to get to the National Enquirer. We're going to break it down just like we are, systematically. So, you will hear for yourself what actually, how Marilyn wrote, how Marilyn was, what is fact, what is fiction, and what is probable theory. You're listening to Goodnight Marilyn Radio, and we'll be back right after this. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Ready to chat about your favorite soap operas? The daytime discussion is here with Dan J. Kroll and Soap Central Live. For the past 15 years, Dan has been dishing and discussing on SoapCentral.com. And now he's taking the talk to the airwaves of the Voice America Variety Channel. You'll go behind the scenes with the biggest stars of daytime, along with guest commentary from the Soap Central columnists. And we'll take your questions and comments during our live show. Soap Central Live, every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. Voiceamerica.com. 
listening to Goodnight Marilyn Radio. Help us explore the mystery that is and was Marilyn Monroe. Call into our program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to MarilynLiveTalk at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Goodnight Maryland Radio. With me is the panel, Immortal Maryland's Leslie Kasperowitz. Uh, Mary Jane Gray is off this week. April Via Via is with us, best-selling author and Maryland expert as well, Gary Vitaco Robles. We are looking at what has been said about Maryland. We're addressing these rumors head on. Let's start with the National Enquirer, but first we have actually a call and a question and maybe some thoughts from Phil. Phil, are you there? Oh, hi, Nina. Hi, Phil. Hi, Where everyone. are you calling from today? Uh, Marysville, Washington. Woohoo! So, hello, Marysville, Washington. So, Phil, I know you had some thoughts you wanted to talk about or a question for us. Uh, what you have? Well... <laughs> This show is so good, I hate to interject with something that was actually covered, what, the week before or prior. Uh, I had meant to call in last week, and I'm sorry I missed out on that, but uh, I wanted to make a a comment in regards to uh, Marilyn's actions on the night in question, and was hoping that uh, perhaps Gary um, could offer some insight. Uh, This is in regards to uh, Marilyn's need for appearing the best for her fans and her audience. I know in her last uh, interview, she had uh, mentioned uh, that before she stepped in front of the camera, she wanted everything to be perfect, at least as perfect as she could make it. Um, I think this was very much inherent in her her psyche. Everything was for the public. Um, Everything was for her fans and not some mere ego trip on her part. Um, It was for them, not for her. Uh, There was also her tenacity for planning everything she did in great detail. Um, Probably uh, because of her insecurity, uh, she needed to spend time to prepare for anything she was going to do later. So my thought was that even if she had made the decision uh, to commit suicide, um, even so much as a half an hour prior to taking the pills, she would have uh, had some instinctive um, thought to fix her makeup, do her hair so she would be the best for her fans. Uh, She must have known that the photographers would be snapping photos at some point, and she even had Whitey uh, make her that promise to do her makeup after she was gone, if you remember that. But um, not that she had been planning uh, to commit suicide, but I think she uh, was very much aware of her frailties and possible eventuality of her life. So although I think she took the pills of her own volition, I don't think there was this last-second decision to take her own life. She would have needed to prepare for even that take some time and do it right. So I see taking the pills as more of a temporary solution to her problems of the day and sleeplessness. Uh, She may have even been, uh, I don't know, mindlessly taking the pills one or two at a time while uh, on the phone with Joe Jr., not realizing just how many she was taking. 
Well, I think that's a great comment, and it actually leads to our first uh, fill, actually what we're going to be talking about. But, uh, Gary, do you want to address this? Because one of the first things that they talk about in the National Enquirer is the position of the body was great for a photo shoot. So can we address Phil's thoughts, because I think it's a good one, as well as the position of uh, ready for a photo shoot, which is what the National Enquirer stated. Uh, yes, Nina, and that's a great question by, by Phil. Um, there's, I don't think there's anything glamorous about the way that Marilyn found, was found. She was found face down in bed. So I was very confused about how they saw that as um, prepared for a photo shoot. I would say it was probably the exact polar opposite of that. And in, in response to Phil, you know, it's really hard to know what was going on in, in Marilyn's mind so, you know, I can't speak to that, but what I can say is that we know um, for most people who um, uh, have severe suicide attempts that require medical intervention to recover from, they did not consider hurting themselves five minutes before. That's about 25%. And about 75% did not think about doing it within an hour of when it was done. So, you know, if it's truly impulsive, um, and if there is a bipolar disorder where there's actually uh, chemicals in the brain that are kind of taking action, it might not have been as methodical as we thought. And there are a percentage of suicides that are extremely um, uh, premeditated and thought through. So it's, it's, a, it's a really tough one to call. I think everything that Phil said about Marilyn wanting to appear um, beautiful for her public and to deliver that to them. All of that is absolutely true. But I can just tell you from my experience in working with people who are severely, severely depressed, that actually doesn't enter their mind. Um, so it's, it's a tough one to, to really respond to. Yeah, I think the instantaneous part of it uh, may be the more murky part, but uh, I'll go back to it, and I happen to, this is an opinion now, it's not fact or fiction, it's an opinion. Um, I, I go along with Phil, because if she would have gone into the day thinking that that's what she was going to do, she would never have allowed, I think, herself to be, um, she would have definitely put in a consideration in terms of how she looked uh, and what she, and how she wanted to be found sp- specifically because of how she had a relationship with the public and specifically how she looked. And I, I just, uh, you know, I, I, that's just an opinion here, but we've got we've to move on because we have a lot to cover here. Thank you so much, Phil, for that. Um, and Thank let's, you. let's, Thank you. And the other one that they talked about in terms of the National Enquirer was empty bottles of pills, uh, the caps on the pills. You've heard us talk about that. Um, that's a hard one. I don't know, uh, you know how I can explain that. But they talked about there was no water glass found. Uh, April, you want to jump in on that one? Hello? Yeah, sorry, Nina. Um, there actually is a water glass in the crime scene pictures. Um, if you look on the floor uh, directly to the right of Marilyn's bed, there is a glass. And I know when the glasses were sold, and I believe it was the Christie's auction, if I remember correctly, there were only 11 glasses that were sold because the LAPD took that glass as evidence. And if you look farther to the left of the uh, crime scene photo where they are pointing to the pill bottles, you can actually see um, a water jug from Mexico with a cup on top of it. All right. So just so you know, I'm just I'm going to move on here. Guys, there was a water glass. 
there was a water glass. Lauren Schiller talks about pills and champagne. I'm just going to mention this. Just so you know, I'm going to say this once again. There was no alcohol in Marilyn's system the day she died. I want to say this again. There was no alcohol in Marilyn's system the day she died. So saying that she was drinking that day and you heard her drinking, you saw her drinking, according to the autopsy toxicology, no alcohol in her system. Affair with Tony Curtis, alleged pregnancy. Hello, gosh, People, check your facts. April, Leslie, you want to comment on this one? Uh, yeah, the pregnancy would have been the one during Some Like It Hot, which is fairly well documented, probably the best documented of any of her pregnancies. Um, and we can date that pregnancy to around early to mid-August would have been the time that she became pregnant, which would have been right when she was beginning the filming of Some Like It Hot. So it absolutely doesn't make sense that at that point in time she would have already been engaging in an on-set affair, particularly considering Arthur Miller was on the set with her very frequently. And April, don't you have a letter from her actually talking about how she feels about Tony Curtis? I do. On April 3rd, 1958, at 2.30 p.m. in her apartment in New York, she had a meeting with Lou Wasserman, and she stated that she did not care for Curtis, but that Wasserman didn't know anybody else who could get in the role. There you have it. Didn't like Tony Curtis, didn't care for Tony Curtis, certainly did not have an alleged pregnancy. With Tony Curtis. Check your facts. Greenson, this is another one, prescribed most of her meds. Guys, care to, to uh, Gary, you want to talk about that one, given the fact uh, we've been talking about this all season long? Hyman Engelberg is the primary prescriber. We know Greenson prescribed um, some medications, but not on a regular basis. He passed that responsibility to her internist. Another allegation they make on this show is Arthur Miller gets out of the car in the middle of the desert. Leslie, you want to talk about that one? Uh, yeah, I, I, that one, as far as I know, is completely unsubstantiated. I don't know of any evidence that that actually happened. And, um, you know, that's something that there, that would have made the news, honestly, yes, at the and, time. <laughs> yes, and I think, Gary, you have something on that exactly what actually did happen. Angela Allen was a script supervisor, and she remembered Marilyn and Paula Strasberg leaving in a limousine and leaving Arthur behind on location when they were filming, but there were many other cars, and Miller caught a ride with his camp. At that time, the couple had two separate camps and were spending time apart. All right, we're going to take a short break, okay? And I want to come back and we're going to talk about when JFK and Marilyn might have first met. And then we're going to talk about something's got to give. We're going to get into the mob theory. And on this show, we're going to once and for all, once and for all, tell you that there is absolutely no way, based on what double-cross the book and all these rumors talk about the mob coming in that they could have killed Marilyn based on what the rumors are. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to Goodnight Marilyn Radio as we break it down. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. 
Ready to chat about your favorite soap operas? The daytime discussion is here with Dan J. Kroll and Soap Central Live. For the past 15 years, Dan has been dishing and discussing on SoapCentral.com. And now he's taking the talk to the airwaves of the Voice America Variety Channel. You'll go behind the scenes with the biggest stars of daytime, along with guest commentary from the Soap Central columnists. And we'll take your questions and comments during our live show. Soap Central Live, every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Goodnight Maryland Radio. Help us explore the mystery that is and was Marilyn Monroe. Call into our program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to MarylandLiveTalk at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Goodnight Maryland Radio. The panel and I are breaking down for you the two Reels Network shows, National Enquirer, and then we'll get to A.J. Benza's case, uh, case closed. But let's get keep on going. Spring of 61, they say that uh, that's when JFK first met Marilyn Monroe, meeting at the Lawfords. Let's just break it down, the rumors versus the fact. Gary, you want to jump in with that one at first? Well, in the summer of 61, Marilyn was still based in New York. She didn't take the apartment in Los Angeles until the end of the year, around August, September of 61. So um, I I point to an an article written uh, regarding November 19th. Um, The press reported that Kennedy um, was at the Lawford home for a luncheon. Uh, That's reported in his schedule. And April and I remember an article in which uh, Marilyn's mentioned as a guest who appeared late and was served uh, a cold chop. Do you remember that, April? I do. I can't find the exact one, but I remember when you and I discovered that. Yeah, so so we're looking at... easily traceable. Okay, so it's not Mm -hmm. the spring, it's the fall. And let's keep it going because I think that we'll get to uh, JFK and Bobby in just a moment. But uh, something's got to give. They accused her of drinking and drugging and out of control. She attended work plastered. Gary. Never heard those reports. She was sick most of the time, and it was documented um, by the studio physician. She had an upper respiratory infection, and she had to work unless her fever rose above 101 so she had trouble concentrating. She was ill, but no reports of her being intoxicated. All right. So, yes, she was emotionally and mentally potentially fragile, but her coming to work plastered is absolutely just not true. 
party for Giacana. Okay, what we do know is that he's actually that she was going up there to uh, to uh, support her dear friend and co-star of Something's Got to Give, Dean Martin. It was a Dean Martin concert. It wasn't a party. Marilyn drunk and drugged, sloppy, slurring her words. Basket case. Uh, they use this word quite a bit, a hot mess. You want to address that as well? I know you have an article from uh, Life Magazine, Gary. Well, yeah, the only um, account of the weekend is from an August 28, 1962 letter to the editor issue of Life Magazine. A woman named Mrs. Ed Stocker says that Marilyn appeared like a lost little girl who made a sad attempt to join in the gaiety of her spirited friends throughout the evening. That's all we know. Okay, and and Calneva, just so you know, in the real-life investigation, we're doing some more work around that. That's why this real-life investigation is going to be really important. If you have any substantiated facts, not rumors, substantiated uh, facts, uh, definitely send it to a Marilyn, the investigation at gmail.com, Marilyn, the investigation at gmail.com. April, could you do this for us? You've done it before on multiple shows. Why is the Capel-Churchill connection and why that may have started the rumor mill instead of the substantiated facts as it breaks down to the Kennedy brothers? Okay, so um, Walter Winchell was a head columnist in the 1950s and 1960s. He was almost on par with Luella Parsons and Hedda Hopper. And um, he was actually really good friends with uh, J. Edgar Hoover and most his, most people who have followed history for America know that J. Edgar Hoover did not care for Bobby Candy and that they were constantly fighting. And um, he was also, Winchell was also a very uh, far right-leaning Republican. And in 1964, um, at Hoover's insistence, Winchell posted in his column praising Capel's book and, um, you know, supporting the Kennedy rumors. And um, it should also be noted that in the 1950s during the Red Scare, Winchell, like, outed people at Hoover's insistence. So he, I mean, he would help his friend by putting names in his columns and getting them blacklisted. Okay, so that's one of the reasons why you need to know this is how are all the dots and who are these people and what are they saying and why are they saying it? It's very complex. Uh, and and then we have Grandison signed under protest that he wanted more time to investigate the cause of death. He secured the diary. They called him on the show a top official. Leslie, you want to address that? I'm going to read this directly from the 1982 DA report. His role in the office, Mr. Grandison's job title was that of a deputy coroner's aide. His function was to perform routine paper handling chores and mechanical rather than a discretionary function. He had worked in that capacity for two and a half years. The coroner's staff people still remember him and still remember the organizational structure at the time report that he had no authority to approve any of the contents of the coroner's documents and his signature thereon implied neither his approval nor disapproval of them. He simply assembled paperwork and was never given authority to challenge the decisions of the medical staff. And he is one of the people that talk about the diaries. Guys, he was a clerk. And April, if I think you said this, he was fired a week after um, after Marilyn's death. Is that correct? That's correct. He was um, actually, if I remember correctly, he was caught stealing. <laughs> okay. So in terms of credibility, not a top official. He was fired a week later. His function was just to sign 
the 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 uh, the autopsy report. The fact that this man would think that he would have a diary, and just let's just break it down, common sense for just a moment. If there is three to four hours before the cops are actually called, if we look at the the later timeline as being more accurate, right? Do you think that that diary, if it did exist, would have been found? Guys, let's really just start to not just believe something, start to connect the dots. Because when you start to connect the dots, whether you still think it's a probable theory or not, the way that they presented it as if it's if it's a fact, it's not a fact. One of the other things I want to get to, and I think that we're we're just going to keep moving. And and Aaron, I don't know if we're going to take a a a, a break because I really want to get to this. And this has to do with the mob. And I think this is important because uh, uh, Milo Spirigulo really kind of came out and said that Marilyn was murdered by the mob. Giacana ordered the hit to damage the Kennedys. Double Cross came out, uh, and this is a sound excerpt from uh, the author from Double Cross that talks about uh, what they actually did. And we will break it down for you once and for all that this could never have happened. Aaron, can we play that clip? They uh, taped her mouth and inserted a, a doctored Nembatol suppository. A suppository was very fast acting like an injection. Uh, there was no traces of that uh, um, uh, sedative uh, suppository. So uh, it was a, a well-designed uh, method of killing Marilyn Monroe. So a fast-acting suppository, Nebutal suppository. Gary, why in the world could this never have happened? Well, Mary Jane's done some research on that, and um, there's, there's specific information about this. Um, uh, a leader I'll, I'll actually goes- read. I'll actually read it because I think that's really important. It says, the drug absorption, distribution, and elimination. It's a review by Columbia University based on a liter of blood that goes through the liver every minute. Once the drug is compounded in an inert form, it is released back into the bloodstream to be excreted by the kidneys. There is a maximum of about four hours worth if it's a non-abuser. And if you are an abuser like Marilyn was, she is a chronic uh, abuser of these drugs at that time, 1.5 to three hours that means that means that Marilyn the liver it would have been introduced to the liver 1.5 to three hours before the liver shut down due to death based on Marilyn's pathology it's not fast acting do you know what that means Marilyn did not die quickly not in a fast way we've already broke that down to you so there's no fast acting Nebutal suppository. That would mean that the mob would have to sit there for about an hour and a half to three hours to sit there and wait for this person to be dead. I'm sorry, not buying it. Gary, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. I just wanted to read that because that that is really impactful. And I think people really need to understand because, you know, people will say these, oh, she was just killed by the mob and they came in. It couldn't have happened. Did not happen. The pathology does not support it. We don't know of a break-in in the house. There was a witness in the house. There was a dog in the detached guest house uh, that would have barked. So um, the mob theory doesn't, doesn't hold uh, much weight. Leslie? 
Anything you want to add uh, on yeah, that one? Yeah, and, and if you know anything about the mob, that, that's not how they handle hits. First of all, um, as has been stated before, they did not do hits on women. And second of all, uh, mobs, mobsters were not going around putting suppositories in people. That's just not the way things were done, are done. <laughs> So even if you say, oh, well, they created and they did it, the reality is, is the pathology did not support that fast acting, oh, I'm going to go in and I'm going to kill Marilyn. So once again, everybody investigating Marilyn, do your homework. James Hall, oh boy. This is one of the most challenging ones because it's an outright lolly, at least if you're going to make up a rumor. At least make up the rumor that he actually said. April, you want to talk about that one? Um, so James Hall was, uh, he worked for Schaefer Ambulance Company. And um, I think we talked about him a few weeks ago, but he basically came in and said that they were trying to resuscitate Marilyn and that Greenson came with a needle and stabbed it in her heart and injected her with something that killed her. And we know that um, Hall's story has changed as to what partners he has had and that his partner, that uh, the partner that he did have actually came out and said that Hall was lying. All right. So, and Gary, you want to address that, you know, the, the, the pills in the back of the throat. Let's, let's, come on. Well, yeah, I James mean- Hall's <laughs> allegation in this documentary said that sh- she was found dead, there was no vomit, and ex- pills were actually lodged in the back of her throat as if they were forced upon her. That, that claim I have never heard, and I have never heard it attributed to James Hall, because as April said, he claims to have found Marilyn alive. And Leslie, it's not even in the DA report, right? There is no mention of this in any of the um, interviews with James Hall in the DA report. And that's an important part because they're actually it's a, an official investigation. And the one thing that they did do is they investigated the ambulance theory, the red diary quite a bit, as well as the pathology and the DA report. So one of the things they say is that it really wasn't that in extensive of a report, 641 pages. It was pretty extensive. They didn't go to the extent that we're going, uh, but at the at the same time, to say that it wasn't extensive is just actually not true. So we're going to keep on going. We we certainly don't have a lot of time to get through the AJ Benza stuff, but we're going to get through as much as we can for it. You're listening to Goodnight Maryland Radio. We are dissecting the two reels television shows. You just heard about the National Enquirer uh, that basically. All those things that we just said was the highlights of that show. You know what the rumors are. You now know what what we're backing it up with. What makes our show different? You're listening to it right now. AJ Benza. Wow. Okay. So let's look at really and truly one of the things that comes out. We've already addressed this. I think this is an important one. Jeannie Carmen says she called for sleeping pills. How is that not true? April, you want to talk about that? Um, so, first off, we know that Jeannie Carmen most likely never knew Marilyn. Um, we know that she claims to have been her neighbor, but in actuality, there is no way that she could have been Marilyn's neighbor because we have um, Marilyn's apartment and we know that she had neighbors on either side of her. And um, Jeannie Carmen makes claims that she has these... Um, Jeannie Carmen has made the claims that she called for sleeping pills, but... Marilyn didn't need her sleeping pills because Marilyn had a ton of pills, and we know that from last show where we talked about how much she was prescribed. And let me just say this. 
just so you know, if you didn't listen to the other shows, she was prescribed 900 pills. 700 of them were sedatives. So I don't think she was actually calling anybody for sleeping pills. Okay, just let's just break that down. Also, in the LA Times, Jeannie Carmen says one of her neighbors said that when she saw the actress two weeks ago, she looked like death. Either she was drinking or something strange had happened to her. Well, uh, the son of Jeannie Carmen says that Marilyn the next day or Jeannie the next day was afraid for her life and that she should, you know, basically get out of town. Well, why in the world is she quoting in the L.A. Times? That's number one. And number two, if that is indeed true, right, um, why is there no mention of the fact that she called? the night before and said, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. She called me asking for sleeping pills. The story just doesn't add up. Gary, why is another reason why Jeannie Carmen may not be uh, as, as close to Marilyn as, as a, lot of, uh, a lot of these documentaries say? Well, she doesn't appear anywhere in the biographies or she is not mentioned by anyone who knew Marilyn who was interviewed by the documentaries and, and the biographers. She appears in Anthony Summers' book in 1985 and in his documentary for the first time. Her name does not appear in any of Marilyn's phone records. Um, Even Robert Slatzer, who later joined the bandwagon with Carmen, Slatzer didn't even claim to know her and did not mention her in his 1974 book. So we could just trace her to the L.A. Times uh, a couple of days after Marilyn died, and she's referred to as a neighbor. Ralph Roberts, Amez Nelson, Paula and Lee Strasberg, Norma and Hedda Rostin, uh, Whitey Snyder. None of these people knew who Carmen was. I'm saying this because at the end of the day, if you're going to claim you're Marilyn's best friend, you got to be able to substantiate it. There's no substantiated uh, evidence of that. One of the other claims is that he was that RFK was kissing Marilyn in her apartment. But then if you believe all the rumors, let me just say this, is then... RFK would have been having an affair prior to JFK, but I I thought it was the other way around. So again, you know, if you're going to put things out there, you've got to be able to substantiate it right now. And we'll, we'll break this down some more next week when we finish up the AJ Benson's case close. We certainly will. But right now there is absolutely no evidence that RFK, Robert Kennedy had an affair with Marilyn. Not saying there could have been a theory around it, not saying that it's not an outlandish rumor, but there's no substantiated facts that Robert Kennedy and Marilyn Monroe had a sexual romantic affair. On that note, I'm so sorry, we've got to to end, but I I, want to ask Leslie, let me ask you this question. Um, If you were to, Marilyn would be looking back at her legacy 54 plus years later, what do you think she would say in just a few words or less? Um, I think that she would see two sides of it. I think she'd be very pleased to see that she's still remembered, but I think that she would be sad to see the manner in which she's remembered for the most part. Um, I think she would have preferred to be remembered for her work um, as an actress than to be remembered as, you know, a person who was caught up in made-up scandals. All right. Gary. Yeah, I think I think she would feel greatly validated and loved by all the people around the world who really adore her and validate her. I think, on the other hand, though, she would really be horrified by the exploitation. She was horrified by movie scripts about Jean Harlow's life and had said that she hoped they didn't do that to her. Sometimes I wonder if she have, would have preferred to be forgotten than to be remembered by the negative. But I think the fact that she inspires so many people 
Um, she would love okay. that. All right, April, just a few more seconds. I think she would just to match what everyone else has already said. I just think she would be amazed that she is, you know, still so relevant, still so loved, and I think she would be absolutely horrified that she is re- usually remembered just for her image and um, that she's connected to all of these scandals. Just remember, Marilyn is a complex, dynamic, uh, beautiful star. That's one of the reasons why she's so captivating. So we have to end this week's show. We'll continue and wrap up the A.J. Benza case closed television show as we break down fact from fiction, probable theory from outlandish rumor. And we have PR agent Michael Selzman, who was also in that uh, documentary last week. We'll have him visiting us. He lived at that same time uh, during Marilyn's era, worked for the Arthur Jacobs Agency. He'll be with us next week. Join us. Good night, Maryland Radio. For now, that wraps up our show. And remember, I'm Nina Bosky. Never stop dreaming. Thank you for joining us for today's show. Good night, Maryland Radio with Nina Bosky can be heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be sure to tune in again next week.